Welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. Today's episode is Brewing Up the Internet. I'm Ryan Spilkin, and I'm joined by the master Zymergist, Matthew Stubblefield. Welcome back, Matthew. Thank you, Ryan. Though I don't know whether to be pleased or insulted since I have no idea what that word means. A Zymergist is the master of fermentation. Brewing. I love it. Get it? I love it. Brewing. Perfect. All we're recording here from sunny or actually not sunny at all, England. Yeah. And joining us today, Matthew happens to be in the office of the incredible award-winning Brew Digital uh, with our special guests, Sophie, Daniel, Colin, and Ian. Um, Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for joining us from Norwich. You're very welcome. It is a pleasure to be in your presence. (laughs) So we kick things off at Adaptivist Live with the Thunderbolt Round. And today's episode is 30 seconds apiece on your first cell phone versus the one you have right now. So I start. And my first cell phone was this Sony, was this an Ericsson. It wasn't even Sony yet, just an Ericsson. It was this gray phone. And it was one of the early web phones that was available in America. And I think the only thing that I ever used the internet browser on it for was to check my horoscope. Because that's really (laughs) useful. That was important. Right? (laughs) So um, I would, and it was slow and the battery was awful and it was large. It was probably, oh, about yay big for our viewers at home who can't see what I'm gesturing at. For those of you who are actually listening, not viewing, which we know is actually all of you, um, Ryan just made a a gesture that's actually, from my perspective on the web conference, it's a, it's, it has reached the point of being about two and a half feet, apparently, as this phone. It's like the anti-Zoolander phone. So it was, (laughs) it was massive. And uh, nowadays I have an, an Apple iPhone 5S, which um, I'm just waiting for the next iteration before I upgrade because my battery is crap. Anyway, uh, Sophie, what about you? Um, well, I'm very old, so um, <laughs> people are showing me pictures of their of their first mobile phones. I'm laughing in the face now because that that for me is relatively recent. Um, yeah, um, so I got my first mobile phone probably in the early '90s. Um, yeah, and it looked like the, I can't even remember the make. I think it might have been a very early Motorola, mm. like seriously early. Um, and this is full of Mars bar phones and stuff like that. Uh, and it looked like a, a child's walkie talkie that you get out of a, you know, a toy mm-hmm. shop or something like that to the point where it even had like a plastic floppy aerial on the top that you pulled in and out. Uh-huh. It literally was just like that. And he bought it. My, 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 um, boyfriend bought it for me because he was worried about me walking home from the station to my car at night. And he wanted to make sure that I had some form of communication. And he bought me one of the first mobile phones, which I, I it was like, I think he got it, you know, off an ad from, from the sun. As soon as, <laughs> as, soon as the 90s, it was like $3,000. Uh, it wasn't actually. It was actually really quite cheap, believe it or not. But um, yeah, it didn't it didn't look like like the kind of thing that it could possibly ever. I mean, well, like a, yo- a yogurt <laughs> pot with a bit of, come yogurt pot with, with a bit of string in the middle, probably been more effective. But. So the difference back then, three thousand pounds was like twenty quid. So oh you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your math yeah. is warped. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> you did say math isn't your strong point, didn't you? I was like, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that's that's a very long time ago, um, and now I have uh, just uh, 
an iPhone, the ubiquitous iPhone, but mine is a six. Um, okay. Yeah, there you go. We'll just do round robin here in Norwich. Uh, so I had a original um, Nokia phone, one of the ones that got popular, the little stump-up antenna. Mm -hmm. I think you could change the colour of the case that was around it. Mm -hmm. I think I had like red or blue. I agonised over that decision for a while. Um, and I played Snake on it. Um, and I now have a um, Samsung J3, I think it is. Um, it's only recently that I've started to use a phone that you can now have for more things than just a phone. Whereas, like, I would now use it for emails and stuff, whereas it took me a long time to get around my head about using a phone for more than just a phone, I mm. guess. Nice. Who's up next? I'll go. Uh, I'm Colin. Uh, I also had a 5110, which I've been Ian's referring to. Uh, the battery used to last months on that. Mm. You can charge it once every year or something. But... Um, more interestingly, I actually owned uh, the first Nokia smartphone, which used the Symbian OS. Oh, yeah. Oh. I believe came, it was the first kind of phone to have a built-in camera. And ironically, you didn't use it very much because it cost about a pound to send a, <laughs> a, an image message. But um, if you wanted GIF kind of quality images, it was great. And uh, like someone else said, it took up... Uh, all of your pocket space and say you walked around with a brick in your pocket but um, it had the good old slide action quit down keyboard and uh, nice. I used to think it was the, the mutts nuts <laughs> and um, <laughs> your face <laughs> I have never heard that one before and that was awesome <laughs> nice Colin alright who's up next um, Daniel, um, and I've just been Googling to try and remember what I had. I thought it might have been an old Motorola. I had, the first one I ever had was a hand-me-down, um, and it was big. Like, um, it was black, though. It wasn't like kind of the gray of old computers. And I remember it had um, a means of attaching a phone book to the back of it, like a, like a magnetic um, flip book. Okay. So I didn't have a screen, so it predated. So it didn't have a so It must have been really old as even as a hand-me-down. Um, but soon after that, I got a Nokia 3310, which had Snake, and you could change the things, mm -hmm. and you could run over it with a BMX. <laughs> um, and I think I had that for an awful long time, and I now have, is this an iPhone 6? Yeah. Looks, it's certainly an iPhone. That's very technical of me. I, I, have, <laughs> I have this iPhone 6. We are now. the best at phones. I should say now I've had equally good phones until that uh, as part of a trajectory of um, mm. of smartphone usage. Sure. So, yes, Matthew, what about you? The first mobile phone I ever used was a car phone. Uh, it was one of those that was built. It wasn't built in, but it was like sort of attached to the center console of the car, <laughs> and it was wired in, and you had the antenna that ran to oh, the back fantastic. window, and uh, it was. Uh, uh, and that was it. You couldn't actually take it with you out of the car. It relied on being there for the power and everything. Um, that was the first. And then the second was the, the Nokia, like the, the 3110 and the 5110, one of those that, um, yeah, for, for the, you know, for calling in an emergency and whatnot. Yeah. For snakes. These, days, these days I've got a Google pixel. And what's interesting to me is that um, I don't use my phone as a phone much anymore. It's, it's almost exclusively for email and photography and, 
uh, and messaging with people and, and doing a lot of work over hip chat and Skype and things like that. But not a whole lot of actually talking on the phone. Like I called Ryan yesterday and that's probably the first phone call I've had in quite a long time. Um, I did a duo call, sort of Android's version of FaceTime a few days ago, but it's, it's rare. I actually talk on it. I mostly just message and search. I thought Daniel was funny. The, uh, what, what phone did I used to have? Let me Google on my magic pocket device to find out. Like, that's what we do these days. Is we just, yeah. we just Google things, man. It does. It definitely brings up some, uh, golden memories, those old, those old devices. So we've seen a massive change in our devices. We had these things that you could literally run over or, uh, drop off a building with the Nokia series, uh, 3300s. And now we've got these, um, things in our pocket that have more, computing power than NASA had when they put a man on the moon. So guys, you're a web development experts and you've seen the web change quite a bit in a very short period of time. Tell us a little bit about what it was like when you started working and how you worked then versus what you're doing today and how you've seen things change. Blimey, where to start? <laughs> okay. So back when I first started doing web development, um, CSS was like a big deal um, and we went from inline styles and uber basic HTML to being able to separate your presentation layer from your uh, markup layer so that the presentation was entirely separate and it was all semantic and lovely and uh, that was about as complex as it got because um, we used to upload files by FTP manually. Uh, so you would go from a kind of development environment on your local machine to a live production environment by just clicking a button and uh, hoping everything went okay. Um, PHP uh, was the language I developed in and it was a fairly immature language back then. There was no object-orientated classes or anything like that. It was all based on functional programming. Um, whereas uh, today, going forward a, a lot, um, not only do you have uh, kind of lots of CSS preprocessors as they're known to really um, help you out on the CSS side with uh, variables, uh, mix-ins, all of these kind of um, helpers, is, if you like. Um, you've got a whole bunch of new JavaScript frameworks. There seems to be a new JavaScript framework coming out every week. Um, I think with the proliferation of GitHub and open source, you've now got a whole load of quality frameworks, such as Laravel. Um, now we have things like continuous integration and deployment. So uh, once you've finished writing a bit of code, it will be automatically tested, and if anything fails, it won't be deployed, whereas if it passes the test, it will be automatically uploaded, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, well, one of the big changes over time, I want to say, like, back in the day, whenever that day was for each of us, uh, it was really dependent on the web browsers. Like, you could start doing CSS because Netscape finally started supporting CSS, whereas these days there's a much more global accepted spec. You know, we, presumably you're still doing web browser testing, but, you know, and it's, it's, it was going on in decades since I really did much web development, but it, that was a really big deal back then. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming it's probably less of a deal now because there's, there's a bit more standardization in the space. 
Or am I am I mistaken on well, that? Well, Internet Explorer lost its prominence, and then it kind of did some um, self-flagellation and caught up, which kind of step, meant that the prominence of Chrome came along, which had the sort of superior um, CSS3 support. Um, and I guess that left um, uniformity in a better shape. Mm. So fair to say? Uh, as uh, CSS became more clever, you would originally have vendor prefixes mm -hmm. which allowed the CSS to be used as it became um, more widely supported. Um, but you're right, these days the support across the board is a lot better and so you can use modern techniques without worrying too much about whether or not it supports it. Whereas back in the day, uh, you would have to do all kinds of hacks in order to um, be confident that your, your, what you were trying to do would be supported in many different browsers. So who remembers uh, the pre-CSS days? <laughs> well, I, I didn't necessarily work in, in web development in that period. I mean, my, I'm relatively recent to it, and I've been doing this for, how long have we been here? Called five years? Mm. Five years. Um, in my previous life, I was in advertising, and, and um, they were still struggling to cope with the fact that there weren't just five media that they were you know, having to, to, to plan for. Then they, they were, because of the web, suddenly exploded into about 50 or 60 potential paid-for channels and quite a lot of non-paid-for stuff, which mm. they were desperate to try and make some inroads to because there were, you know, any number of, of startups, new companies who were basically taking a slice of the marketing spend and of the of the sort of share of voice, um, which they've been for so long spending billions of pounds just throwing it at and really struggling with that and the reason that I got out of advertising was firstly I've been in it for a long time and I was bored to tears but also <laughs> I didn't want to be on the periphery of digital I wanted to be immersed in it properly and when I when I left the previous uh, the, the agency that I was at and I said this is what I'm going to do they were like you're kidding me no uh, how, how are you how are you going to get into that and you're like well I've got a job and I'm just going to use sort of the skills that I've got and you know learn learn what I need to, I suppose, as I go along. And um, I've been doing it five years, which which I look back on now. It doesn't seem, it seems like a blink of an eye, but I think, well, actually five years is, is quite a long time now. But for me, what's amazing is even in that time, the things that have changed are huge. I mean, I it, it's, quite, it's quite weird, really. I, I'll give you an example. So just three years ago, we built a site for a client who's a very small, sort of one one man, one you know, company. And he recently came back to us because he wanted some changes made to his site. And this was just three years ago, probably less. And Colin made some changes to his site for him, and it took him longer than he anticipated because it's an old site. The site that's it's going to take longer to do it because what we have since we actually built that site it takes longer to actually make the changes and deploy those changes because it's an old site mm -hmm. in three years, an old site. That's and uh, that's, that's pretty nuts. Old that's doesn't have to simple on this. Yeah. So it's when, that, when something like that happens, you, you become aware of actually, actually you've been doing this quite a while and you think, well, blimey, and you, you realise actually how much you've learned, but also how much of that is now kind of redundant or is not that actually that useful and because new stuff has happened and you, you, you haven't even realized that you're picking it up. Um, 
and other things. I mean, um, you know, we talk to clients about, you know, the upfront planning. I remember there's such a debate when I first joined when people wanted to, you know, they're building a site and they said, well, should we have an MDOT, for example? Should we have a separate mobile site? And we're like, well, you could do that uh, or you could just build it responsibly. And, oh, well, what's the upshot, upshot of that? What's, what's, what's the issue of that? And there were all sorts of number crunching around the difference between doing an MDOT versus trying to do a, a responsive site and whether or not you could get all the content in a responsive site and should you tailor uh, should you tailor it so you can have a separate MDOT because people aren't going to be using it in the same way. And then, of course, Google comes along, they change the way that it's indexing for mobile content. It's going to have everything in there that's on the actual normal site. So that all changes. So it's kind of it really it really evolves in terms of the way that you approach uh, a problem because you know it's had to. It's, you look back at it now and you think I didn't even realise that 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 actually even happened. I didn't even notice that happening. It just mm. evolved so quickly. And I, for me, from a from a career perspective, this is brilliant because I spent ages, I spent years doing the same thing. I got to the, about as far, as far as you can get in advertising without becoming the MD of an agency. And, but I spent years doing the same goddamn thing every year. I, couldn't, I wasn't learning anything new. Whereas every day I learn, you know, four or five new things and I love it. And I do feel like an idiot amongst these guys. I really, really do. But at Imagine the same time, I, I rather feel like an idiot that's learning um, and always learning something new. And, and it's not even that. It's not just, sorry, I'm going on a bit now. It's not just about the actual subject that that I'm working with and I love the creativity I love that we create something and working in advertising you don't necessarily feel that way all the time um, but one of the things I love about it is that the structure of companies in this kind of sphere is so so different and the way they're run is so different and I love particularly with Adaptivist and the team I love that I actually learn from those guys, you know, at a senior level or at any kind of level, but, you know, particularly the guys that manage it because they are running things in a way that from a corporate perspective in my former life, I would never have seen. And I love it. I'm learning things more, more and more from Simon in five minutes than I had learned in five years previously to, you know, so for our viewers at home, just to fill in some gaps there in full disclosure, brew is like a sister company to Adaptivist. And Simon, you may recall from a few weeks ago on the podcast, is our CEO. Uh, so that guy's around, and you can listen to that episode now on whatever mobile app and web tool you use, because these are things that exist now that didn't used to exist. Speaking of, uh, so we're talking about this maybe difference over 10 years, I actually forgot that there was conversations about what to do. On, with mobile web. oh my god i man. forgot people actually talked about like do we have to have a dot m site yeah, i forgot and so like i was doing this before there was mobile before mobile phones existed yeah and the big thing back then was you know how do we use flash let's <laughs> we need to get more flash into the site um, because we I mean, needed to be flash? do some cool stuff and then from flash we moved on to ajax and uh, from ajax we moved on to some json stuff and then now I talk to the people sitting around this table and I go, oh, hey, we can do this and this and this. And they say, yeah, nobody's done that for like five years. <laughs> uh, none of that is, is relevant anymore. Yeah, why don't you hitch up your dinosaur? <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so guys, you've got this constant change in the industry, right? Changing standards, changing uh, tech. How do you keep up? 
I think it's mostly through passion for what we do. Um, so in a standard day, uh, you might come in and uh, you'd spend the first half an hour of the day checking up on the latest news. But quite often that isn't half enough time uh, to take anything on board, but you'll make a note, oh, that looks interesting, I'll check that out later. And um, I, I quite often read up on the latest web technologies and uh, techniques outside of work over the weekends just because I, I really enjoy what I do. It's also, there's not so much necessarily always new technologies in that they are kind of entirely conceptually new. The things come along that make things easier mm -hmm. all the time, like um, all the uh, frameworks for CSS, they overnight made you um, half again more efficient with your CSS. So that wasn't necessarily a... Uh, you weren't stepping into a new universe of development. You were just suddenly much more efficient at it. And those, and that, and that equally is great. Some would argue more complicated as well. Oh. There is quite a learning curve to a lot of the new technologies. But I think once you got over that initial hurdle, then yeah, certainly it makes your life easier. Cool. I think it's like there's a inherent desire in some people, um, myself sometimes, to like. Be trying to do something or achieve something, think there's a better way to do this, and then the way you keep up is like thinking, okay, but how can I find out how someone else has done that? What is the problem that I think could be better? And when you do that, it's when you like learn something that you didn't necessarily think of because you're going out and you're finding like the better way to do it if it's just like a formula you didn't know about or something like that. I read a great quote recently, and um, unfortunately, I can't remember who said it. Can you remember what it was? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they said something along the lines of, um, if you're completely happy with a piece of code that you wrote a year or so ago, then you've learned nothing in the past year, because there's always a level that you can achieve and improve upon. It's a put down in the shape of a positive quote. <laughs> I just, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not a developer, but I think it, it must be incredibly, incredibly rewarding if you're in, so passionate about the subject. But I think it must also, uh, you know, must be a tricky thing to, to, to always feel like you're on top of your game. Or do you ever feel like you're on top of your game? Or if you do feel like you're on top of your game, does that mean it's time to get out of the game? I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, it's fair to say that it's becoming more and more difficult to be an excellent all-rounder. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Because of the amount of uh, specialisms and uh, how often things are being updated in our field, uh, I think it's more and more common for people to specialise in front-end or back-end or one particular language or one particular discipline. Specialise in like maybe simple things like just being a WordPress um, developer, and that's not to emigrate them, but it, you are locking yourselves into really a particular framework yeah, or CMS or something like that, and you, which is not making you a all-round developer ever. But to be fair, because WordPress is something I've worked with for a long time that this group seems to hate with a passion. Oh, but no. to be fair, yeah. WordPress is, is still PHP based. Like there's still skills that, that translate. I always worry that if, what happens when the stabilizers fall off and you're sort of left in the middle of the road. Well, and that's that's always sort of the, the risk with any sort of tooling that you've invested in. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing we do with Atlassian stuff. What happens if Atlassian goes out of business tomorrow? You know, and they just shut it down. And yeah. that's our job. But you, you still have skills that are transferable, and it's also very unlikely that's going to happen. I mean, uh, WordPress was the first CMS I worked with. What is it? I mean, it's 2017 now. It's been it's been almost 15 years that we worked with WordPress, <laughs> and, it's, and it's still going strong. 
Um, not that I actually work with WordPress anymore. Again, as we've already acknowledged, everything I know is horribly out of date. Uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, but WordPress even, I mean, you, uh, WordPress, my other half has a website for his business and he, when he first built his uh, and he did his, his own, he used WordPress and the templates you get from them were shonky and God knows what else. And now you can just go to Theme Forest and pay, I don't know, $50 yeah. and get an out-of-the-box responsive it's beautiful. You know, site that looks very good. As long as you're happy with structurally with it, and, you know, whatever else you might be able to move around. It's very good for, for just you know, something, you know, one-man band or what have you. And that, I mean, you, you, that's responsive out of the box. Well, it begs, Can't do an awful lot of different stuff, but, you it, know. it begs the question, what's what's the point of our websites? What are what are we trying to accomplish with them? Um, so for you all, you know, you work with a wide variety of customers and you've worked with the web for a while. Are you, do you feel like the sort of the goal is pretty much the same or has it been moving a little bit? Are there, are there changes in what customers are asking for and what they're trying to achieve with their web presence? Well, well, web, uh, so we don't necessarily always do things that just are someone's web presence. So web presence, like a sub marketing site really does have focus that is to kind of sell something or present something. Whereas other things we do, which is backend stuff, uh, running systems, they have sort of myriad um, like solution a, problems to solve. The factory system, for example. Yeah, so that sort of stuff is is not discre- discreetly different to just marketing sites. I guess marketing sites remain simple because they have one focus, mm-hmm. although they can be incredibly complicated if they have to talk to something in the back end. But in terms of how far we've come, in the past you might sell a mobile presence as a separate thing. Whereas now it's expected a standard. Mm, exactly. If the website right. doesn't respond, mm. then you're all cat and you yeah. won't you won't be considered. Yeah, you're in trouble. Um, on the WordPress point, um, whenever I hear WordPress, I think insecurity. Uh, I think yeah. that's another interesting factor oh. because um, <laughs> if you think about how far web vulnerabilities have come yeah. and uh, the kind of um, cleverness in what people are able to do these days in order to get your credit card details or to, you know, your login details. There's a lot of phishing scams, which are very, very clever these days. Uh-huh. Um, they've come on leaps and bounds. Yeah. You really have to have your wits about you. Mm-hmm. It's a great point. So um, you think that WordPress and um, people's um, comfort with social media and stuff has kind of upped the expectations of what a website must be to be a website. Mm-hmm. And so if, um, if you can go and get something that looks really, really good on WordPress, but now you actually need something that's as good as WordPress, but it's entirely secure and maybe slightly more customized, you'll be paying more than $50 for a theme. You're, you're going to be starting development all over again. Maybe half of that is just to make it feel as swishy as WordPress's backend does and the box. So there's a, this enormous leap of expectations because of the democratization of um, this sort of open yeah. free economics. I think, I mean, the thing is, it's fine if you're just going to do a brochureware site. And, but, I mean, some of the challenges that we have, when I say we, I, I mean, larger Daniel, because he's designing it, <laughs> and, and Colin, when he's thinking about how we're going to build the thing, um, is obviously we specialise in doing things that are, um, that we make we make an elegant solution out of complicated problems. So there are often things that look pretty, but actually they're making something that has a lot of content or has uh, a functional requirement, a brain behind it, look really easy to use and really pretty. And that, from from it, 
from the perspective of, of design in responsiveness is, is often a challenge. You know, people come to you and say, please, can you make this ugly table of information be accessible? Uh, yeah, show me it. And it's this massive wall chart of something horrible. You've got <laughs> to make that viewable in an easy format on a, on a, a four-inch four screen. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's often the challenge we have. Or, or, and then on the back of that, you know, crunching a bunch of data and spewing out, you mm -hmm. know, responses dependent on, on choices people have made, you know, on a, on a tiny screen. And also having it look amazing, obviously, when it's on desktop. It's, it's, those are the kinds of challenges that, that obviously for us are things we, we enjoy. And you say, well, have you had to change or what you do because of the way that it's evolved? No, I, I think actually we've kind of evolved into what we're interested in doing and it's solving those kinds of problems mm -hmm. and, and, you know, making things really beautiful out of messy issues i suppose so it's sort of like the the goal is still communication but the things we are wanting to communicate online are more complex yes we were just communicating them in different mediums before yes yeah. and also things that people might might want to achieve or yeah. be able to yeah. achieve um are, are much more complex and very often when we're talking to a client for the first time they might come to us saying oh we think we might want an x and we go okay but tell me about what it is you're trying to achieve from yeah. a business perspective because that might not be the best answer. Mm -hmm. And very often you have to ask them to go back a few, few steps yeah. um, because they're not even aware of what's possible um, or they might be barking up the wrong tree entirely. But, um, you know, it's important to understand the actual core objective of what it is they're, they're trying to achieve as a business to give them the best advice and then arrive at something which is going to exceed you know, expectations, not just for them, but for the users, really. So for those of you who want to see a beautiful example of Brew Digital's work, you can either Google their website in your web browser of choice or go to, what, uh, brewdigital.co.uk? Just .uk. Just .uk, because that's a thing that exists now <laughs> in the future. Yeah. So brewdigital.uk. You can also check out Adaptivist Learn at learn.adaptivist.com. Uh, to see an example of their work, which will be changing over time as they continue to evolve. And then I'm going to pass it to you, Ryan. Well, that was actually what I was getting at. So. Haha, thunder stolen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is my thunder <laughs> it's now. It's your turn now. All right. Well, I want to thank all of our friends at Brew Digital, Sophie. Ian, Colin, and Daniel for joining us. It's been wonderful talking to you and learning about evolution of the internet today. Um, and for Matthew Stubblefield, I am Ryan Spilkin. This has been Adaptivist Live. We'll see you again next week. I think that's oh, shit. We're in beds together. <laughs> <laughs> and not, you that analogy on your own time. And not in an overly formal way. He's sharing us <laughs> sleeping. We're sharing, we're sharing the food, Tom. <laughs> it's a one-off. <laughs>